welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, work-life fit expert, Deb Crow. Join Deb every week as she interviews the co-authors from all over the globe. They'll share their insights into self-empowerment with their personal stories and real-life experiences that will help your own personal development and touch every area of your life. Join Deb every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, good evening and welcome to the Change Book Radio Show. This is Deb Crow, and I'm so excited that you've decided to tune in and join us on this beautiful October evening. We're starting to see true fall colors and weather here in Canada, and it just seems like a nice transition of season that I always welcome. So I decided this week to take a different slant on interviewing a co-author and I literally have a co-author who has just joined us in book number 15. That is right. We are now on book 15, 26 countries and growing. And again, just a phenomenal global community that I get the honor and privilege of interviewing every single week. So this week I have the pleasure of interviewing Katerina Kazayas, and I sincerely hope I've done justice to her name. And let me tell you a little bit about this amazing, amazing woman. She is an international live events MC as well as an on-air media personality. Her hosting background is complemented by many years of business communications experience in the oil and gas and finance sector, as well as and including lifestyle and entertainment. She's collaborated with media and agency partners to bring news and information to the world. She has forged strong relationships with numerous media outlets, including the Rob Report, Forbes, and the Wall Street Journal. So I would like to welcome Katarina to the show. Deb, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be spending the next hour with you. Well, it's just so nice to have another media person on the other side of the interview, uh, mic to mic, if we can call it. And I'm just so intrigued with your bio and your website and just the talent that you're bringing to our global community. So let's just dig into some great questions and and showcase your expertise, because I think the listeners are really going to learn a lot from you. And I'm sure you're going to give me a nugget or two to take away as well. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Absolutely. Let's dive in. So I know that you have been in contact, like all of us, with Jim Britt and Jim Lutz. And I wanted to know for where you're at in your career now, and I want to talk about that in a moment, but what led you to the decision to write a chapter and join our global community in book number 15? Ah, absolutely. First of all, I'd like to say a big, big thank you to, uh, to yourself and the rest of the team there, because I have been really wonderfully received. I'm, as you mentioned, new to the whole uh, structure, you know, the team book um, series, but I'm also very much a fan of being part of a collaborative team. And that is something that, you know, both Jim Britt and Jim Lutz have managed to build. And so it's a real honor for me to come in and join you. And I thank you for taking the time to host me on your show. Um, as it pertains to my getting involved with the Changebook series, I mean, let's be honest, this is a no-brainer for anyone who, A, has a voice with something to share as it pertains to change, which I really do, and we can get into that in a minute, 
Uh, but two, you know, what a fabulous way to leverage off of the talent of other people with, you know, a likewise powerful message. So for me, the opportunity to get involved with a proven series with people who are leaders in their field and just leverage off of each other's talents um, is so very exciting to me. Well, I, I concur with you, and I felt the same way when I was approached, and, and I was back in, in book five. So to be sitting here talking to you now at book 15, it just, I'm smiling ear to ear because mm-hmm. I knew where this book series was going to go, and just enjoying this radio show every week and traveling to different countries and chatting to exciting professionals like yourself. I believe that we're shifting a paradigm and I truly believe that Jim and Jim have created a pool of talent between authors and speakers and trainers. So I'm just so glad that you joined us. So your official welcome is on the Changebook radio show now. (laughs) Well, fantastic. Thank you. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm contrary to a lot of the people that are involved in the series who tend to be either motivational speakers or life coaches I actually find that I'm supposed to be using my platform, which is media and television and radio. I'm currently living and basing in Los Angeles and using that as a platform to help really fuel these kinds of conversations. So, again, as you mentioned, you and I are sort of on the media side of this, but I think we can be of value to help, you know, really get people comfortable with the fact that change is so necessary. It's also so fabulous. And I think way too many people in our society are scared of change. And that's really, I think, what the book is about, for us to be there and support people through their growth. Oh, I totally agree with you. Now, I've done my homework, and I've, I've <laughs> read a lot of your blogs, and I really love your website. I really wanted to commend you on that. But your story is intriguing, yet so popular. And I know a lot of people, and I take the title from the blog that you wrote on Thrive Global, how to take the leap, ready, set, jump. Please give us a little insight to your story from, I'm going to say a year and a half ago and the job you were doing in Miami. And what was your aha sure. moment to make the big change? Mm, absolutely. And, and this is probably, you know, also what led me to, uh, to fall in line with the, uh, the change book group. <clears throat> I'm going to preface it by saying, you know, you mentioned at the top of the, uh, the segment that I had yet to write my chapter um, so I'll, I'll be thrilled to come back when it's written and we can delve into that again. But um, for now, one of the things that I thought about, as we mentioned, is just this, you know, the fact that people change, they evolve. And for me, I really have come to recognize as somebody who interviews authors, I interview successful business people, um, for your listeners who may not have had a chance to, to, to understand, you know, where where the blog is coming from, um, I do contribute to Thrive Global, which is one of Arianna Huffington's newest wellness projects. Uh, but I do so under my, my brand that I'm building, which is Fab After 40. Uh, so that's short for Fabulous After 40 dot life. And the reason I wanted to start that community and start that discussion is because as someone who is moving to Los Angeles, you know, which is a very, let's be honest, superficial, you know, looks first type of type of environment. I was given the advice about a year and a half ago when I transitioned from Miami to Los Angeles, you know, and I was told, don't tell anyone how old you are. You're going to be in the media world. You want to downplay your age. And so for a little bit, I thought, okay, well, you know, of course, like everyone else, if you're not 25 and a millennial, you somehow don't have any value. So I better downplay my age and downplay that, that value that I could possibly be bringing. 
But the problem is, organically, through conversations with people, when you chat about your life, it came out very honestly and blatantly that I've done way too much to warrant being 28 or 29 or 30. Now, for your listeners, I just turned 40 in March, so big, big one there. (laughs) But what I came to recognize through all my interviews is the fact that there is a bit of a tipping point that happens when you're in and around the age of 40, 45, 50. You know, you come to that, what they like to term middle age. And there's a real of, have I achieved what I thought I was going to achieve by this age? And if not, what do I do? And what I found was people usually do one of two things. They either decide that life is, you know, passing them by and it's too late to follow their dreams. And they sort of move down towards that midlife crisis path. Or they go and they get some Xanax or they get on some pharmaceuticals. They start being depressed about the choices they've made and they sink further into depression or they catch themselves at around 40, 45, 50, and some people catch it even later. But you recognize that really at this point in your life, you have the energy and the intelligence to make a shift if you want to and really take the next 40 years and make them whatever you want to make them. So I'm at a point right now where as a 40-year-old woman, instead of falling into a lot of the subconscious societal messaging that is telling us, again, You know, if you're not 20 and airbrushed, you don't count. It's like, no, now is the time that I'm going to leverage everything that I've learned and experienced in the first 40 years and really knock it out of the park with the remaining half of my life. So that's what I'm here to help motivate people to do. I'm I'm sitting here and my smile is beyond the circular width of my head right now (laughs) because... You know that I, I shared a picture with you, and, and I'm 51, so my big moment was last year turning 50, and mm-hmm. I so resonate, because you're right, it is a tipping point. I think 40 is the start. I think 50 is kind of the, the second chapter, if you will, and like yourself, I have done an incredible amount of work, diversified work, like you, around the globe. And I look and think I've done more in my lifetime than most people do. It is time to pull all of that experience together. And I, and I want to ask your opinion because I, I co-facilitated a leadership summit in August this year in Toronto. And all mm-hmm. of the leaders said the same thing. And they were representing 12 countries. And it's not so much about the academic and the initials after your name. They want mm-hmm. real life experience. Experience and those soft mm-hmm. communication skills, and I just, I just want you to elaborate on that. What you oh. have found moving to LA, and then even before that, in your in your previous role as an executive, absolutely. Soft skills and I think this to is, me are so important. Oh, they so can't be, important. they cannot be trained. So just elaborate right. a little bit on that. Right, and and I'm glad I'm glad we're, we're talking about that because I think part of what people need to do is recognize that. Exactly. The credentials and the education and all of that is fantastic. All of it is necessary uh, to a degree, but it comes from a place inside where if you have a passion, if you have an ability to connect with other people on a human to human level, whatever it is that you're trying to sell, promote, communicate is just going to come across so much more powerfully. And I'm a little bit concerned in this day and age of the social media especially with the younger generations who, you know, their only source of communication is via text message and cell phone. And it's like we have to band together as a community and just remind people to have a conversation sometimes and actually pick up the phone and and develop these softer skills. 
Um, for me, just taking it back, and I won't bore the audience, you know, with too much of my personal story, but I think it's relevant, especially as part of, you know, the subject of change. I had known deep within my heart that I was meant to be a television host from when I was 15 years old. Literally, I knew this. That was my path. For a number of different reasons, instead of going and taking, you know, journalism or communications in university, I decided to take a little bit of what I considered at the time a safer route, and I studied finance. So I I went the, the path of finance, and all of a sudden I fell into what ended up being a 10-year run between the ages of 20 and 30, you know, 22 and 30, if you will, when I graduated, of being in corporate finance, being behind an Excel spreadsheet, you know, sort of on this path that every time I tried to eject would continue to pay me better money, a bigger bonus, you know, more into my 401k or my RSP. And all of a sudden at 29 and a half, I looked around and thought, where the heck did a decade go? And why am I not listening to my, my own soul? And why am I sort of giving it up to this commercialism that's telling me I need to be buying a bigger car and a better house and a larger TV? So I literally imploded my own life at the age of 29 and thought, okay, I'm done with this corporate world of finance. I'm going to take off and do something that I really love. So I started to, to sort of delve into some journalism courses. But what happened was I fell into this self-perpetuated limiting belief of it's too late, I'm too old. Because by now I was 30, 31, 32, thinking how am I going to start a new career? This is silly. I should have been Juliana Rancic by now. And, um, and so, you know, I fell into this place of, again, opting out of what I knew to be true to my soul and instead going a little bit more of it. I can really appreciate why safety is important, and I have a theory around that. We can get back to it. Uh, long story short, I got very lucky. I fell into a, a wonderful team doing luxury marketing with a yacht company. Um, so I traveled in my 30s around the globe as the director of marketing and communications, went to Dubai and Hong Kong and all these fabulous places. Uh, but, you know, then I turned 39. And gosh darn it, something inside me kept telling me that, you know, I'm meant to be in media. I'm supposed to be in front of the camera. And this literally has been talking to me now, Deb, for 25 years, you know, or it had been up to that point. And what happened was I decided at this point at 39 and a half to say, I have to get over this belief that I'm somehow too late. It's too old. It's not going to happen. The reason it hasn't happened for me is because I've never tried. And I just did not want to get to the age of 90 with that dream still in my heart and the regret. You know, I think having a regret is something that I don't want to take to the grave. And I thought, I'm just going to try it. And I'll tell you something, it's been the best year and a half of my life. I uprooted everything. I moved to Los Angeles. I had no contacts, no one I knew, you know, really in the television world. I knew a lot of people in media. I had been working in it for 10 years. But um, really, it's been a blast. And I feel so much more alive as a human being. And that's what sparked my website, FabAfter40.life, because I thought, if I'm just starting now, how many other people out there have a book inside them or want to move to a city or want to divorce that guy. I don't care what it is you want to do, but stop telling yourself that it's too late. I feel, I feel like I'm listening to myself. I'm, I'm just, I love that. You know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you finally just decide, decided to shed your limiting belief. And to me, I think that you have tapped into your why 
And I think Mm. that you've truly found your passion because I could hear your smile through the last little bit that you did (laughs) talk to us about, about being fab after 40 and you are being fab after 40 and I'm being fit and fab after 50. Exactly. You know, I, I like what you said before that, I think women choose to settle and, and I'm doing it more along the work-life balance route with the fitness angle because we don't have to accept hormonal change. It's like Mm. any other element in our life. We have to educate ourselves and find out what modality is going to work for our body. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that we have to be that norm. And I think women just settle. And are you mm-hmm. seeing that in the demographics of the 40-year-olds that you've been working with and interviewing? You know, I, I am. I'm, it's, it's, it's an interesting mix because, as mentioned, it's sort of a 50-50. 50% are starting to sort of give up, and they're gaining that extra 15 pounds, and they're not as worried about, you know, being healthy. And the other half are actually going the other way and saying, no, I really want to make sure that I stay young and fit and, and, and vibrant and, you know, please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say weight is an issue. It's more about your lifestyle. You know, are you taking measures to keep yourself feeling energetic by eating energetic food? You know, there's a massive difference in having some sushi and some greens for dinner versus having a bunch of pasta carbonara. And I love the pasta. I really do. But, I mean, I can't eat it every day. You know, I'll just feel like a slug on the couch. It's, it's like all elements of our life, looking at work-life balance as an umbrella, everything in moderation, right? And I think sometimes we are our own worst enemy. And I think as women, as we get older, we're very hard on ourselves, especially, you know, us moms out there who have had kids. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. once our kids, you know, get to the age of 20, mm-hmm. I have two girls, they're 20 and 22, you kind of feel like you get to breathe again, but on the same token, uh, bigger children, bigger problems. Right. And I, it's have all- a, I have a theory. So, oh, sorry to interrupt you. I have a theory just based on what you're saying, because you, you, I, I have a question to pose to you, actually. My interviewer is coming out now. I have a theory, and I call it the transition years. And for me, I've pegged those as 19, 29, 39, 49, 59, et cetera. And it's sort of, you know, you're right on that cusp of finishing off a decade and having a new decade in front of you. So when you were turning 49 to 50, were you feeling that it was time to reassess and reevaluate? Because I certainly felt that at 29 and at 39, and I'm wondering if you felt it at 49. Well, I'll I'll tell you, um, I'll truncate the story. Um, My oldest, I, I had a medical case management practice for 23 years, and I literally landed up on the, um, I call it the cliff of stress, and I named it beyond.com. I had compassion fatigue, and all I was doing was going to court, and, you know, it was just that adversarial environment of lawyers and insurance companies, and I, I just needed to get off that bus. So I closed my practice and was doing consulting and got back on the speaking circuit, and then my oldest daughter had a car accident and sustained a head injury. So I was, I was home for her with her for two years. And my specialty, by the way, is neurotrauma. So not that there's not some divine intervention there, of course. But I realized that I had let my fitness go um, when I was home with her because I just let her situation and her injuries succumb every moment of my being. 
So at mm. 49, I, I promised myself on my 49th birthday that by my 50th birthday, I would be not only back in shape and lose the weight, but that I'd be fitter than I was when I was 30. And 41, 41 pounds later and six sizes, I did it. Wow, 41 pounds. Now that is impressive. Yeah, that is it took me, but, you know, I'm, I, I started Halloween of 2015, and then my birthday was May of 2016. And kind of like your family said to you when you told them you were leaving Miami and from the luxury yacht job to follow your heart <laughs> and your dream, everybody said, oh, you're crazy. You, you can't do it. And that's all you need to say to me. And it was like, watch me. And I got a trainer and I joined a gym. But you know what? I committed to the work and I committed to myself. And that's why it, that's why it got done. And I think what, what came, what, what the catalyst is for you, what it was for you, and what I think it is for many people is making that decision, right? You make that decision in your head and then it, it evolves. Until you make a decision within self, you can talk about it till you're blue in the face, but you really need to make a decision. And when you do that in the core of self, that's when the progress happens. Absolutely. Um, 41 pounds is incredibly impressive. How much of that was mental more than physical? It was probably, you know what, I, 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 think, it's, I think it's an equal balance on, on each side of the equation there because mm-hmm. – you know, Christine, my daughter was just so injured. And because I had worked with brain injured patients for so long, you never wanted to see it be your own child. So it was like taking off the case management hat and now just being mom. And it was like, at first, I didn't know how to separate my knowledge from just my love and care and attending to her needs, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a journey, but I've got Reebok. I've got Reebok looking at me, and I'm, I'm going. I'm. I, I really want to be that model, that role model for over mm-hmm. fifty, much like you're doing, because I see so many women with the extra weight. And and you just brought up such a valid point. It's physical weight, but it's got cognitive uh, meaning behind mm-hmm. it for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I want to chat about what we were talking about a little bit earlier with respect to the blog that I had written for the Huff Post because I didn't, I didn't fully answer your question. Uh, but part of it was, you know, taking a leap. That was the theme of the, of the article. And what I've come to recognize for a lot of people, the thing that holds them back, because if you ask anyone, if you were to give them a million dollars tomorrow, would they want to do something different than what they're doing career-wise? I almost guarantee you 90% of the population is going to say yes. Um, the 10% that is going to say no is the 10%, let's say, that is really doing something they love and are passionate about. Uh, but, but most people in society are sort of, you know, they're, they're doing their nine to five, they're waiting for their paycheck, they're waiting for their pension. Um, and I think what holds a lot of people back is something that I call the terror barrier. It's not my term, but it's something that really resonated with me when I, when I heard it. And it's not that you're afraid of the change it's that you're afraid of what the change is going to mean and how do you move into that new version of yourself. Um, so effectively what happens and what keeps, I think, a lot of people back from becoming the best and most expanded version of themselves is the fact that the terror barrier is, is, is actually real. Basically, it's your intellectual mind recognizing that you're about to move into territory that you've never been in before, right? Let's say you're an accountant, but you've always wanted to be a landscaper, 
And, you know, how do you shift that? You're going to be scared to move into that new, into that new business. And so your survival instincts get set off. So it's almost like putting your hand on a, on a hot stove, right? Something is going to say to you, pull back, pull back, pull back. So when we try to move into a different version of self, simply because we've never done it before, that survival instinct is going to go off. So what we need to do is, is just consciously recognize that, you know what, there's nothing to be fearful of here if, in fact, I take a moment, A, to consciously recognize that fear is rearing its head, B, to sit and sort of listen to what that fear is telling me, you know, is it telling me that I need to do a little bit more research? Is it telling me that I need to look for more resources? But if you take a moment and you sort of script what you need to do to move into that newer version of self, maybe I have to go get a line of credit. Maybe I have to go have a conversation with my husband. Maybe I have to do X, Y, Z. If you can put a plan of sorts in place and recognize that the fear is absolutely going to be a normal part of any kind of change, then it actually makes the change more exciting rather than more fearful. And you're more likely to move into that next step. Such a such a valid point on that. And I I think that some women also have what I like to call generational beliefs that just have come to them through whether it be a grandmother or a mother or a sister, and they've adopted whatever it may be, and then they have that moment that you talk about, that pivotal transition transitional year, whether it be 29, 39, 49. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this just because my grandmother did it or why did I even adopt? So it's almost like I think at 40, you kind of think, okay, I'm at the halfway point. When I turned 50, it was like, I'm really coming into myself now. I know who mm. I am. I know what I want. And you talk about it, surrounding yourself with the dreamers. And, and that's what I really sincerely feel this change book community is. I feel mm. that not only are we 280 co-authors strong, 14 books, 26 countries, now we've got book 15 with you, but the catalyst and the commonality is we're all dreamers, but we're also doing the dream. Right. We're making it happen. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the more people that can, can be there to support one another, you know, part of what, part of what, You know, for me, I've made two major changes in my life. The first one took me two years. It took me two years to give myself mental permission between the ages of 27 and 29 to quit my corporate job, right? Because it's not easy. It's not, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a corporate job. I just wanted to move on. But it's tough when you put in the hours, you know, there's, there's sort of a cost, opportunity cost that you look at. There's all the time and effort and, and, and you know, this, this element of perceived security. So that took me two years. But what took me almost 25 years to do was give myself mental permission to become authentic with my own dreams. And 25 years to get to a place where you're listening to yourself is a long time. So what I really hope that I can do and, and the community can do is help to give people permission to live their most, most authentic life um, sooner than, than it took me to do it. Now, would you share with the listeners and your fellow co-authors, what did you, because you have quite a diversified background in what you've done career-wise, did you get mm-hmm. a coach? Did you do some self-help books? What were the strategies that you took to really help you allow yourself to have that mental permission? 
Right, absolutely. I had seen, um, it's funny, I had been watching a uh, an interview with Lisa Nichols, the author Lisa Nichols, motivational speaker. I'm sure everyone in this community knows who she is. And uh, she had been interviewed on Oprah. This was probably 15 years ago. And Oprah asked her on the air a very similar question to what you're asking me, which was, you know, do you have a coach? Who have you used? And Lisa Nichols says, yes, I have two coaches. And Oprah said, okay, interesting. At the commercial break, Lisa Nichols turns to Oprah and she says to Oprah, how many coaches do you have? And Oprah says to her, I have four. And Lisa Nichols says, I finished the show, I got into the parking lot, and I quickly called up two more coaches because I realized if Oprah Winfrey has four, I certainly need more than four. So what Katerina recognized was if there are people who are really achieving, what are they doing to get there? And the common thread came back to the fact that they were not doing it alone. So for me, I dove headfirst into sort of the self-development human potential world. I started reading everything there was to read by all of our favorite authors and uh, really just started to understand the workings. uh, And and I can't claim by any means to, to be an expert, but I started becoming aware of the power of the subconscious mind. I started becoming aware of self talk and, you know, what energy we're putting out there versus what energy we're attracting, you know, and, and it's the buzzwords like law of attraction and this and that. But, you know, there's a real element of truth to all of it. And unless you're exposed to this world, you can go through life in a trance. And I think a lot of society has been consciously set up in a way to keep a lot of us in a trance, whether it's throwing, you know, seven hours of football at us on a Sunday or a bunch of beer on the Kardashians. And I'm not saying any of that's bad, but I'm saying some people spend years doing nothing on a Sunday but watching football at the expense of their own self-development and their own ability to achieve and give back and be of value and service. So I just made a decision that I wanted to shift out of that commonality and be someone that can um, have more of an impact. Well, you just led me right into my next question. You, you would think mm-hmm. that you know what you're doing and talking about here. I think you and I are vibing on the same level today, Deb. That's why. <laughs> I, th- I think we are. Now, I love that you said from 15 years old. That's pretty young. That's a young girl. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. knew that you wanted to have some type of media job, whether it was radio or TV. So do you think it was an ex- Experience or a family member or a friend or who planted that seed to to give you that passion at such a young age? That's a really great question, and I've thought of that. Where does the passion come from? How do we identify it? Because a lot of the conversations I have with people, you know, many of them will say, well, you were lucky because you knew. It's like a ballerina who knows that she's supposed to be a ballerina. Um, a lot of people will go through their life and they they, they claim to not have identified what that passion is, Um, but I would challenge them on that a little bit, and I would invite people listening, uh, especially if they're not part of the Change Book series, and I'm hoping, you know, we can can open this up, and we, you know, more and more people that aren't part of the series are actually listening, Um, but I would invite them to take a minute and just really reflect on what comes naturally to them. So to answer your question, I don't think it was anything I really saw or was told Rather, it was a baseline understanding of what my natural skill set and talents were. 
I always was articulate. I always enjoyed communicating. I happened to have an, you know, a, a fairly strong presence and personality. I happened to be fairly good looking. That's subjective, but I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I, I fit that mold of, you know, perfectly five foot six and, you know, perfectly female. I'm not too short, not too tall. Everything that would fit for the world of television. And I think somewhere deep down inside, there's a piece of it that comes into play that really is your own destiny and we're given the tools we're, we're equipped with all the skill set it's just a matter of whether or not we're tapping into it and I think it's Gary um, Gary Vaynerchuk that is a big proponent of playing on your strengths not on your weaknesses and I, I tend to agree with him a lot of times people spend a lot of time trying to develop parts of them that aren't that strong to be even greater strengths and if you can develop your strength to be a greater strength, then you're developing it to be a superpower. And if you can become one of those people that can tap into your personal superpower, then you're on fire. Oh, girl, you're on fire. And, and I, I, can back up, I can back up your subjective comment and just the photo of you and those beautiful deep brown Greek eyes. I'm, I'm going to concur with that one as well. <laughs> So let me ask you this, because you are a woman of so much experience and talent. Have you given any thought to your chapter and what you may write about? Will you, will you give us a little tease to let us know what you may bring to book 15? Sure. You know, I've been thinking about it and I've been thinking, you know, what can I contribute that's going to be, um, that's going to inspire people. I think part of the, part of the series value system is to be there as a support community, but also to inspire, motivate, and also intrigue people. And um, part of what I think that, that I'm going to talk about is simply this idea of stepping into your own authenticity. You know, um, every time I have jumped, I have, um, it's been for the better. And I've leapt twice. I leapt uh, the first time at 29 into a brand new career and lifestyle that I had no uh, understanding of where it was going to go. And I left again when I, you know, when I decided to come out to Hollywood. The funny thing is, though, when you leave with a belief in self and an intention, I intended to come out here and I intended to make it in this sphere. The universe, and we all know this again, it's so much of it is cliche, but it's not. The universe will you know, step in to fill that void for you. So, for example, in my case, you know, I wanted to come out here and be a host. A year of being in Los Angeles, things were orchestrated in such a way that I was actually reporting from the 2017 Oscars red carpet this year. Now, that's a red carpet that typically takes people 10 years to get on. You know, you'll start with a small press junket or you'll start with a movie screening, but you don't typically come to Hollywood and within the first year you're, you know, you're reporting from the Oscars week. Uh, but that happened for me, and I think it happened for me because my intention to make this dream of mine a reality has been so long in coming and is so strong within me that you can't shake that belief. Now, I, you're on the flip side, you're going to ask, well, how do you get that belief? Um, I started doing a lot of meditation. I'll be really honest with you. And I'm coming from a really non, I don't want to say hokey, but for me, the whole world of meditation and, and softening and quieting your mind was very, very foreign to me. You know, coming from corporate finance, you know, you just don't, at least 15 years ago, you didn't meditate the way it seems to be infiltrating our society now. And it has been 
such a gift to me in my life, just that ability to still my mind and, and calm my nerves and tap into source um, that I would highly recommend for anyone that's not consciously taking time out of their day to meditate or be still. And, and maybe that even means just going for a walk in nature, but just take it down a notch. Well, you're going to be pleasantly surprised, but probably not surprised. I start my day every morning with gratitude and meditation. And like Lisa Nichols, I have a few coaches, and one of them is a meditation coach. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things I ever did. And I've had her for six months. And I find, and I would love to hear if you felt similar. My cognitive agility and innovativeness and creativity has just gone through the roof since I started doing it. And on days, we have days where our, where our schedules are very busy. Then I have a longer meditation that she creates for the month for me. And it's all around what I'm working on and my goals because they're all custom. And then I also get a shorter one for those days that just doesn't present the time that I would normally do. That way there's no barrier for me to miss that self-care back to me. So I'm so happy to hear that you were open to it and that you are meditating. And is it part of your morning routine? Do you have a regimented morning routine? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's another thing I would say is that anyone that doesn't really needs to take the time to put a framework in place, even if it's just for the first 10 minutes of your day, because you're right, not everyone has an hour to sit around and go for a walk and make some tea and get back into bed and meditate. I mean, that's great on a Saturday morning, but that's not so great on a Wednesday, Uh, you know, but um, I do, I consciously um, decided to make the choice to get up a half an hour earlier every morning. And that ended up being actually an hour earlier. So I'm usually up by about five or five 30 because I get in my meditation, I get in my morning jog, I get in my gratitude journaling, which I also think is so important, and I'm so glad you're doing it. And it really is like you need to put on your armor to face the day because so many of us can just go head first into the first problem that's going to appear on our, you know, in, in our inbox and not even have gotten out of bed yet. And I think that we really need to just get to a place where you're grounded in your intention of how you want your day to unfold, what you want to see presented in the world in terms of energy flow back and forth. And if you can do that, it's going to make life ebb and flow that much easier for you. And I've noticed, same thing to your point, since I started meditating, I'm just a happier person. The power of meditation and gratitude, I think, is so undervalued because People think it's kind of out there. It's kind of woo-woo. And I know coming from a neurotrauma background, when I could incorporate those modalities for my patients, it was quite a barrier at the beginning. But once I was able to get them to relax and try it, it really made a significant impact on their life. And I always use that as an example when I'm doing coaching or if I'm doing speaking, you know, it's the whole premise of what we've been talking about. If you're at that age or tipping point, as you call it, or you're in one of the transitional years, change is scary unless you're open to it and you know where you're going. And like yourself, you left a great job, but you knew deep down inside 
from 15 years old that that wasn't your passion and what you truly wanted to do. So when you embrace it and, you know, shed off all those limiting beliefs and just go for it. I mean, the magic happens. And I think I'm not surprised to hear of your success. And Jim Lutz always says the greatest point to me. He always says, someone will say, how did Deb Crow start the radio show for the change book series? And he said, Mm -hmm. she asked. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You, You cannot get what you want if you don't ask for it. You know, it, you just can't. And, and, and that same token, if someone says no to you, you know, I just really have changed. No just means next. It just does. And, you know, it's funny because part of me is hearing myself and I sound like I'm on this little soapbox of happiness. Um, I want people listening to know that I went through um, a real period of darkness. And that sort of hit me between the ages of 30, I'd say 33 and 38, where I was the exact opposite of what I am right now. I was a pissy person. I was negative. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was, I was, I was in a panic, um, very honestly. Now, guys, if you're listening, you're not going to relate to this as much as maybe some of the girls will. But I was really going through that, you know, biological clock, which when I was in my 20s, I used to think was just ridiculous, right? Okay, old women that haven't had a baby yet. still hadn't had a baby, and this biological feeling of overwhelmment was sort of bubbling up inside me. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. And, of course, the more I was feeling that state of panic, the more I was probably repelling the men in my life. So it was just this whole energetic ball of miserableness. And this was me being flown, you know, like I mentioned, to Monaco, staying in a $20,000 hotel room, and I was miserable because of the paradigm that I was telling myself. You see, nothing was very different between myself now and myself five years ago, except for the fact that five years ago, I actually had less white hairs, you know, (laughs) I was actually better off five years ago. But it's the paradigm that I shifted internally and the way I decided to start viewing life and start really appreciating all of the fabulousness that I really did have versus dwelling on the stuff that was missing. And I think you really need to get to a point if you're, if you're, in a, if you're in a non-happy place right now, um, you need to check yourself because the only person that's going to get you out of that is you. You, you got it. You, you preach because the only person that's going to change anything in your life is, is, is yourself. And I want to let you know that gray hair is wisdom <laughs> highlights. That is what there I call them. I love that. <laughs> I've never heard and, that before. I love it so much. I have, well, there's a couple of authors in the change um, that I just really feel you're going to resonate with, and I'm going to do some introductions for you. Um, Are you uh, familiar with Carrie Murphy? No, no. I'm still getting familiar with almost everyone. Mm -hmm. So Carrie is K-E-R-I Murphy, InspiredLiving.tv. She is in the Change Book series, and and I will introduce you. I feel like sometimes... Doing the show, I'm like the the concierge of the group because I have all the books. (laughs) I've spoken to almost all the authors, but there's three or four that are coming to mind that I will definitely introduce you to because you you resonate on just how you present yourself and your passion and what you want to do with your brand. So I'm definitely going to do that. I wanted to just go back to what you said about kind of taking check, doing that self-check-in, like we say in yoga, Mm -hmm. and really appreciating. And I just, 
I'm really, I'm really thankful and grateful to you that you shared that you had some dark times because when I was home with my daughter, I kind of felt loss of self, if you will. Mm. And I thought, how can I get my soul back? And I became a volunteer at our local hospice. And every other Mm. Saturday morning, I spend five hours there. And it's beyond an honor and a privilege to be with someone and holding their hand at the end of their life. But I bring Mm. that up for two reasons. One, because it helped me do a check-in to see that I needed to give back to myself. And that's where I was drawn to. But secondly, the biggest thing I hear from these beautiful people that I get to spend time with at the end is they didn't follow their dreams. And I hear, Mm -hmm. I wish I had have done this and I wish I had have done that and follow your dreams and you're only 51. And it's just, it's just such an impactful moment. And I think it just gives substance to everything that you're doing for women over 40 and for what I'm doing for women over 50. So how does that resonate with you? And what do you do for your self-love, self-care, philanthropy? What sure. What part of, tell us the elements of your life from that perspective. Uh, absolutely. And I think, I think you know, what, what you're talking about is so very, very important. I think a lot of times, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, there's people in Africa that don't have food to eat. How can you be depressed? Um, everyone, it's very natural and normal to look at your own situation. And you can't compare that to the people in Africa with no food. What you can do, though, is say, take a look at your situation, take a look at your present, present reality, and say, you know, is it really that big a problem that I'm not driving the car that I thought I'd be driving by now? Should I be focusing my energy on feeling bad about self, or should I take that energy and go help someone out? You know, whether it's go volunteer at a homeless shelter, whether it's go do some advocacy work for your local community, um, I think being, you know, having a charitable philanthropic component to your life is essential. And I tend to find that people who are missing that tend to be less happy. It's human nature to want to help each other out. And, you know, not everyone has hours upon hours to spend, um, to spend helping out. But one thing that is very important to me personally is I do a lot of advocacy work for the National Institute of Health um, as it pertains to neurological research. Um, funding for neurological research has decreased by 18% since 2012. Um, even though things like Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's and MS and all of these neurological diseases are on the rise. Um, so for me, it's important to say, hey, yes, we're putting money into the medical system, but we need to put money on the back end. So I'm a big, I'm a big pusher of preventative medicine and also research to try and quelch some of these. Um, so can I also do a lot of work with children? So I um, am part of an organization called Children International where, you know, we sponsor younger kids from, you know, parts of the world that are a little, uh, a little less socioeconomically advanced. Um, but I think you can do little things, even just, as you mentioned, go down to one of your local hospitals and maybe sit with an elderly person who has been staring at a wall for, you know, the whole day and may not have those, you know, conversations. Let's just try and give back. And I, I notice when I do give back, I tend to, to get more energized for as backwards as that may seem. It doesn't seem backwards at all, and and I'll share with you why. When I 
when I walk out that front door of hospice, I'm, and I'm like you, I'm gregarious. I love to chat. I love intellectually stimulating conversation. (laughs) When I leave that front door, I cannot verbally express how I feel, but I just feel that I'm in the right place at the right time. And I'm just so meant to be there. Right. Absolutely. I have a, I have a quick exercise I want to share with um, people listening, which helped me. Um, so if you're wondering, you know, you ask, how do you tap into your passion? I think you just need to be still and listen to, to mm-hmm. what is coming through. But how do you change the limiting belief? Um, the one exercise that really was the change maker for me, if you will, was at the age of 38, I decided to write myself. This was the, you know, the cusp of my miserableness. I was upset about everything. And most of all, I was starting to get this regretful feeling of not having pursued my passion, right? And I thought, geez, if I'm feeling this at 38, how shitty am I going to feel at 68 or 88 if I have this regret and that it's built up over another 40, 50 years? So what I did is I sat down one afternoon and I wrote a letter to self, but I wrote it projecting myself to the age of 90. So my 90-year-old self sat down and wrote a letter to my 38-year-old self. And I have to tell you, it was the most incredible exercise because what, what it made me do was get out of my own head and look at all of the fabulousness that my 38-year-old self had to offer. I was young. I was vibrant. I was fun. I was energetic. And, and, and I basically said to myself, my 90-year-old self said, get your head out of your ass, girl, because you have all the good in front of you and you're doing nothing but wallowing in your own self-pity party. And so that was just a fabulous exercise because it just got me to look at how much time I still had. So whether you're 35 or 45 or 65, you're probably going to live till you're 100. That is a heck of a lot of time. Don't you want to structure your life and make that change now? I do. I had a profound conversation with a colleague of mine a few weeks ago, and we were in Toronto, and we both are extremely early, early bird people. So we were up at five and we decided to walk down along the water in Toronto and watch the sunrise. And he looked at me and he said, how old do you think you're going to live to? Mm. And I said, well, I'm 51. I'm hoping a hundred. I said, I'm healthy and vital and a lot of it's mindset. And he says, well, let's say it's 81. You only have 30 more summers and 30 more years of looking mm-hmm. at sunrises and sunsets. And I thought, yeah, that really struck a chord. It's wow, all in how people right. present the information, right? Mm, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, and maybe this is something I want to leave people with today and something that I, you know, have made points of reminding myself about, age is simply, you know, it's a number. It's simply a descriptive reflector of the number of years we've been on the planet. It has nothing to do with our ability to achieve, our ability to create, our ability to evolve. Society has just put so many of these dampers in place for us, especially magnified by this, you know, Photoshopping world that we live in. But it's like, no, ignore the numerical value that you're associating to self on your passport and really look at what do I feel like I can do now? And I think, I think so many more of us are excited about the years to come, and I, I plan to be, absolutely. I, I'm going to be that vibrant senior in that 
grandma yes. that's got lots of energy, and I'm with you. Right, right. So here we are sitting the middle of October. We're in the last quarter of the year. Let us know mm-hmm. kind of what, what's on your slate. What goals or things would you like to accomplish by the end of the year? And is 2018 already envisioned and planned for you? Mm, very good question. You know, I think we're all at the point right now where we're in the last quarter of the year, and um, we really know that if we can structure things correctly over the next two, three months, we'll be able to go into 2018 with some good momentum. Uh, so for me, one of the things that I do is I host a radio show here in Los Angeles. It's called LA 40, and it's a play on the words of Los Angeles and Life After 40. It broadcasts on latalkradio.com, so it's digital internet radio. But we also video it, so it's kind of like a web series. And one of my personal goals for that show is to increase the viewership between now and Christmas from the current 20,000 viewers that we have to 50,000 viewers. And by the end of 2018, I want to have that up to 200,000 viewers slash have NBC reach out to me and want to buy the rights to the show. And, of course, you know, my goal at that point is to negotiate having them keep me on as host. But even if they don't, I'll negotiate the rights to be an executive producer. My point is that I came to town, you know, with with a little dream to move from behind the scenes media to in front of the scenes media. And I'm taking steps every day to do things brick by brick by brick to make that happen. But I know for a fact that the end goal is a heck of a lot closer than we we sometimes seem to realize. And the only way we're going to get there is to get up every morning and build it brick by brick. So absolutely, guys, it may seem like a long shot, but I promise you that there is no way that I'm not going to reach the top culmination of this industry with time and effort, because with time and effort, there's no way you can't. Well, there is no doubt in my mind, and I've known you for all of 50 minutes, um, (laughs) that you will achieve that goal. And I think your bio is just so so truthful and so honest to who you are. You truly are a skilled communicator. I I can hear it in your voice. I feel that from listening to you, you are an influential speaker. I think you're an influencer for women over 40. But I just love your, your grace and your diplomacy that you show on the radio. And I'm excited to tune in and listen to your show. And now that you're part of this global community, you've got 280 co-authors lined up behind you to help you pole vault to that that goal which I know you will hit so what a wonderful wonderful goal so what's what's left to inspire you oh oh my goodness so much left to inspire me (laughs) one thing I'd like to say based on on what you just said is I'm going to be reaching out I would like to reach out um, over the coming months to a number of the co-authors Because part of what I'd like to do with LA40 is, you know, we talk about all things life after 40. I'm helping to explore what does that mean. So sometimes we have realities in real estate. Sometimes we have, you know, a show about, you know, cancer scares. Um, They're thematic. But what I'd like to do is transition the show to be a little more motivational, inspirational in nature. And I think that now that I've come across this fabulous community of life coaches and people that have a message to share, I would love to offer that as a platform for collaboration. So, you know, if you're an author and if you're listening, please do expect me to be reaching out to you because I'd love to invite people onto my show to continue to have these conversations. 
I think it's going to be really important, and I think it's going to be really fun. So if I can help, you know, kind of continue what you're doing, Deb, I'd love to do that. And, um, and, and again, whoever's interested, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Well, and that's, that's one of the biggest elements that I love about this community is we are all about helping, empowering, whatever we can do to influence our fellow co-authors. It's just, it's such a loving, embracing community, which you've, you've seen just a small part of so far. Mm. I know you've been welcome, but the best is yet to come. We get constant marketing training from Jim Lutz. I mean, to have Jim Britt's cell phone and you can call him at any time. To me, above and beyond adding to the value of the chapter that you're going to write to be part of book 15, to have those, your cell phone, Mm. whenever you want, Mm. that is priceless to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and, and I, fully, fully recognize that. And I'm so excited. And I have no idea what my chapter is going to be about yet, but <laughs> I'm thinking I may take a weekend and drive out to Malibu and just sit in the sunshine and, and let, let it flow. Whatever comes down is going to be the message I'm intended to share. And I know that I've lots to share. So stay tuned, folks. Should be an exciting well, ride. I, I, uh, I have no doubt it's going to be powerful and influencing and impactful. And I just, I really want to thank you for coming on tonight and spending the last 50 minutes. And you have my promise and my word that when that chapter's done, you will be back on the Change Book Radio Show for another interview. I would love that. I would love to delve into whatever the heck is the next conversation is going to be about. <laughs> I do have to say, as a fellow Canadian, so shout out to Canadians. I'm actually from Calgary originally. So we've got that in common as well, Deb. I love that you're from Toronto. So shout out to Canada. <laughs> that's, so fun. that's wonderful. Yeah, fellow Canadians. So let's keep in touch. And I'd love to be on your show. And we will talk again. And thanks again for uh for coming on and just enhancing another great interview on the Changebook Radio Show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it, Deb. Thank you all. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Bye-bye. So just another exciting interview. Uh, as I sit here smiling ear to ear and in awe of Katerina, who's joining us in Book 15, just a wealth of talent. I hope that you will all check out her website, Katerina. I'm not going to say her last name properly. Kaizias, it's spelled C-O-Z-I-A-S dot com. Just a world of talent, lots of experience with on-air media and training. So thank you for tuning in to the Changebook Radio Show. This is Deb Crow, and I'll be back here next week with another amazing author from the Changebook series, and I hope everyone has a great week.